if you said to them, what are you doing Saturday night? Because I want to ask you everything about your life from the time you were a small child. I want to share with you everything about my life since the time I was a small child. I want you to meet my family. I want to meet your family. What is your favorite color? What do you like to eat? And I have our next 15 dates planned. We're going to go here and then we're going to go here and then we're going to go. You would not go out on that date. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Wendy Weiss. Wendy's the president of coldcallingresults.com, and she's been called for a number of years now the queen of cold calling. So one guess what we're talking about today. That's right, cold calling. So we're going to dive into lessons that Wendy's learned from her clients about how cold calling has changed during the past 12 months, during the pandemic, and during this rise of virtual selling, and she shares her recommendations for sellers regarding how to elevate their effectiveness in reaching out to prospects in this new sales environment. We also dig into why Wendy believes that cold calling is the perfect way to build relationships, and she shares a number of very practical cold calling tips, such as the specific skill sets you need to be effective at setting meetings, when not to have a sales conversation, why you should always leave a voicemail and follow it up with an email, and what should be in your call script and why it's less than you think. Lots of really great practical takeaways from Wendy today. But before we get to Wendy, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Wendy, welcome to the show again. Well, thank you for inviting me to be here. Yeah, it's been a number of years. Um, <laughs> I was trying to think back to it. I think it's been three years, something like that. Something so, like that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, gosh, you're in New York. And remember the last time we talked, you have a really interesting background. Weren't you like a professional dancer? Um, yes, actually, my first career was dancing in a ballet company, and um, I believe that everything that I know in life and business, I learned in ballet class. All right. Now, <laughs> we need, you can't just run by that. Let's explore that. So, what are these, these things? Let's start with, yeah, life. We'll go to sales after that. Okay. Well, it's, it's, very, it's really very similar. What I learned in ballet class was warm up, rehearse, perform. That's what I learned in ballet class. (laughs) Because uh, when you are a dancer, you take, it takes about 10 years to train a ballet dancer. Um, And you take a ballet class every single day, uh, five or six days a week. And when you're training, you take two, three, four classes a day. And you do the same thing over and over and over again. Um, And that you learn your technique, you learn your craft. When you have a performance coming up, you don't just run out on stage and start dancing. You (laughs) practice, you rehearse. And uh, then and only then after you have trained and you have learned your craft and you have rehearsed, then you perform. Um, I think that it is true. It is a life lesson and it is also a, a business and sales lesson. Um, because unfortunately, when it comes to sales, so many people just start with the performance. They're just winging it. They Mm -hmm, run out mm -hmm. on stage and they're making it up as they go along. And unfortunately, that's why it doesn't work for them. 
Well, aren't they oftentimes sort of forced to though, right? Because that is true. I mean, the one of the one of the changes in sales over the decades has been is that certainly when I got started and sales was yeah, you got training and so on, but it was also a little bit more of an apprenticeship. And yeah, you, know, you went out on <laughs> and did a lot of calls with more senior people and and yeah, I don't say you eased into it because you're on quota pretty quickly, but it was just it was a different way of looking at it. Now it's like, yeah, 90 days we're on board somebody, you're up to speed, quote unquote, up to speed, which clearly is not enough time to learn your craft. Right. And I I see one of three things that happens pretty consistently. Either there's there's a new hire and they teach that new hire absolutely every last thing that they need to know about whatever it is they're selling. And that could take a really long time. Sure. But they never teach them how to actually uh, go after a client, find an opportunity, and then close it. Or they uh, say that we're, we're, we're not going to get them training yet because we're going to see how they do on their own, which is often a recipe for disaster. Sure, on both sides. On both sides. And then the, the third possibility is they do uh, get some get this new hire some sales training, but there is a difference between prospecting and selling. Yes. And lots of times the, the sales training starts with you're in front of the prospect. How do you handle that conversation? This is important information, but before you have that conversation, you have to learn how to get in front of the prospect. So that that is what we do. Well, let's dive into that distinction because I think this is something that's coming into starker uh, focus or more sharp focus over the last several years. Is yeah, we have more specialized sales roles in many companies that, uh, especially those that are doing more of an inside model, and so we have basically prospectors and sellers and. It's funny, I, I, I see oftentimes in companies, this, there's a service assumption that, well, somebody's going to do prospecting for a certain period of time, and then they're sort of like going to, quote, grow out of it, and we're going to make them salespeople. And I don't see companies taking the one, the people who are really good prospectors may want to stay, you know, the SDRs, BDRs, whatever. Why aren't more companies creating career paths on that side of the ledger as opposed to assuming everybody just wants to go over and become a salesperson? It's uh, I don't I don't know the answer to that, and it certainly is. Some people are really good, uh, can be really good at business development, and mm-hmm. they won't be good salespeople. And you want to keep them in a business development role. Sometimes you can transition someone uh, to a, a full sales role. You know, I have clients that will use the ability to set an appointment as a litmus test as to whether or not somebody's going to be successful. Because when you bring someone in as a, as a brand new hire, it's going to take them a long time to learn everything they need to know about whatever it is they're selling and be able to uh, sell it effectively. But they can learn to prospect and set qualified appointments in a matter of months. And then they can learn the rest of the process. But if someone cannot learn to do that or won't do it, then they're probably not going to work out. So I have a lot of clients that will use the ability, uh, they train them 
they they come to, they come to us and we train them to set appointments and that's that's kind of the litmus test as to whether or not this new hire might succeed in sales or not yeah i mean and i i think that's good I, but i was i was sort of heading down this different path which is just that we've created these roles or they are very specialized and and yeah there's some thought that actually as you become more mature you actually become more effective in those types of roles in terms of networking and connecting with people and so on. And yet there always seems to be a rush, certainly in tech companies serve, I'll call it ageism is, is yeah, they're too old for this. this is, you know, this is a young person's job to be an SDR. And it's like, well, if they're good at it, let's, let's, let's make a career out of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree because it prospecting is actually uh, it's its own specific skill Absolutely. set, and it's Absolutely. not intuitive. Um, there is there's the myth of the born salesperson, <laughs> um, and so when somebody has that skill, that's an incredibly valuable skill. Yeah, well, I agree, and I, I, as one who did it because I had to, but never felt it was my strong point. Um, yeah, I have so much appreciation for people that can do it, love doing it, are good at it. Um, and I just think it's sort of like the disservice we do for like good salespeople. There's the assumption that they need to be promoted to be a manager. When if we really counseled them and, and showed what the career path could be, is more of them would probably want to stay as salespeople, right? That they could get achieve their personal goals in life being a seller as opposed to a manager. And I think we need to be able to do the same thing within this this business development space is help people understand or provide a path for people so that yeah, from the what they want to achieve in their life, you know, personally, financially, whatever, is if they're really good at this, is how do we help them make that career? Exactly. If someone is really good at something, it's a great idea to let them keep doing something that they're really good at, unless unless they really don't want to. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a different thing. Other people have aspirations; yeah. so they want to change from one to the other. All for it. But yeah, I just I seen too many instances, and and I was. Or a conversation about a year ago with with a sales leader. It's it's looking at his SDR team. I said he's sort of saying he's having a hard time finding people at that time in a pre pandemic. I said, well, you know, there are lots of people on LinkedIn who are in their forties and fifties that maybe it just didn't work out for them. Uh, perhaps whatever career path they're on in sales, but they look like they could be really good in this. Why well, have you ever tried somebody that's a little bit older, a little more experienced in these roles? It hadn't even occurred to that person. Well, what's also interesting is that frontline role is often devalued. That's part of the problem, that the stars are, you know, the salespeople are often viewed as the stars, mm-hmm. where the BDRs are like, oh, that's that person's a telemarketer. And, and there's always kind of a sneer in the person's voice when they say the word telemarketer. Yeah, and, no, I, I understand. And finding that opportunity, that's the hardest part. If you have a qualified opportunity in front of you, closing it should be a whole lot easier. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll say that they're both hard, and, and we should have you know, the best people we can find doing both roles. And if you have top people doing both sides of it, then, yeah, your odds of actually moving a prospect from initial point of interest to a, a close should be substantially higher. And, yeah, I agree with you. So we have to stop 
I think it's changed and it's evolved, but I think there's still segment people sort of, you know, look down at the BDR, SDR function sort of interchangeable parts. And we've got this process. If they just say these things in this order, everything's going to happen. And it's like, that's still human. It has to execute that. Agreed. So you've, you've talked about some changes and stuff, stuff you've written about, because, uh, you know, you focus on cold calling. You're the self-described queen of cold calling. Uh, which I think is great. You should grab those, grab that territory, make it your own. Um, is what's changed then? All right, over the past twelve months, we've gone through the first year of this pandemic. Hopefully, it's the last full year of the pandemic. Um, what's changed in the world of cold calling as a result of COVID? Well, what's really interesting is there has been a a huge resurgence in interest in the topic. Um, that a lot of uh, our clients were used to doing a lot of networking. They were going to conferences. They were going to trade shows. Mm-hmm. They were they were going to networking events. Uh, we have clients that would canvas. They'd walk into an office building and start knocking on doors. They That's can't how I started. Do any of, they yeah. can't do any of those things now. And so, um, how how are you going to make that connection when you can't? Go to the conferences and trade shows, et cetera, that you where you've been used to meeting the people that you want to have selling conversations with. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I was on a panel a few weeks ago. It was an expert panel. I'm making finger quotes here. And um, <laughs> one of the experts said that the phone was dead because everyone is doing Zoom calls now. And I oh. said, "Wait a minute! <laughs> Wait a minute! You have to get people to the Zoom call." And the phone is a mechanism to do that. Um, and so that's that's one of the uh, big changes that we've seen is there's this real resurgence in using the phone to develop opportunities. And, you know, what's always interesting to me is every single study that I have seen shows that if you add the phone to the mix, conversion goes up. So if you're doing an email campaign mm-hmm. and you start, you know, your team starts picking up the phone, your numbers go up. If you're doing a social media campaign and your team starts picking up the phone, your numbers go up. So this pandemic is making people pick up the telephone. And I think to a point you're sort of alluding to earlier too is, is you know, sometimes it's just better to have a phone call than a Zoom call. Yeah. If you get someone on the phone... Um, and you say to them, do you have some time to talk now? And they say, yes, go ahead and have that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you don't, <laughs> first of all, yeah, you don't want to schedule for another time because then your odds of that ever happening go down. But, but there's also been some research, and this actually sort of came out near the beginning of the pandemic, but you know, Zoom had been around enough for a while. People already started studying video calls in general, but it was that, that – this researcher was making the assertion, I think this article had been in Fortune magazine, was that if you really want to hear the nuance of the other person, that that there's a lot less distractions on the phone. And you're more tuned into the conversation and not distracted by your picture or the other person's picture on the screen and all so on. And so it seems like, yeah, even in the midst of the Zoom boom, phone calls work better in many situations. Absolutely. And um, that ability to listen very deeply 
I mean, that's some that's something that we train our clients on. But when you're on the phone, that I mean, that's it. You're listening, and and uh, so if you can get out of your own way and just listen, it's amazing what you can pick up. And I think that's this really becomes important for sellers because maybe you're slowing down a little bit, right? You just have to yeah. listen deeply, and the phone helps you slow down a little bit. That perhaps. Uh, yeah, you wouldn't do if you're on a, a Zoom call. I mean, I've I've been in my own <laughs> work. I've been switching the the mix of Zoom and phone, and suggesting people always speak on the phone now. A little, yeah, it's still majority of Zoom, but that percentage of phone calls going up, and yeah, people are really enjoying that. Yeah, well, there um, there was an article in the New York Times just a few months ago uh, where. They, they interviewed managers from Verizon. Basically, what they found out was that the volume of phone calls, this is for everybody that thinks, no, you can't reach people on the phone right. uh, because they're working remotely. The volume of phone calls is actually higher on a daily basis than what they typically see on Mother's Day, which is the highest call volume day of <laughs> the year. That's really interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny. Every time anybody proclaims the phone is dead, which seems to happen about every three to six months in sales, is, yeah, they're promptly proven wrong. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny about that call volume. Yeah. You know, I think initially, in depending on the size of the company one might be reaching out to, the larger companies, of course, got it together uh, much more quickly than smaller companies, but at the beginning, you know, when things were shutting down, I think companies were scrambling, people that were coming into the office were now working remotely, that had to be all set up. So yeah, it was kind of a mess, but it's been a year. They <laughs> they have all figured it out. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you wrote something interesting on your newsletters. I don't know, it's just, I got it earlier this week. Um, and I think the quote is from you is, is you said you've had a number of conversations with sales professionals who tell me they don't cold call because they want to build relationships with the prospects. And I thought that's such a great line because I'm sitting there going, oh, all right, well, who says the two are mutually exclusive? So, so what's behind those comments that people are making? Um, well, probably what's behind those comments are, are fear, but also a, a basic misunderstanding of what they're trying to accomplish because uh you know andy i'm kind of on a on a mission because Mm -hmm. people say so many stupid things about this topic and what i like about you is you don't beat around the bush so yeah let's let's get into it yeah you know and one of the things like the stereotype is you hunt somebody down, you get them on the phone, and you make them buy something from you in like 60 seconds. You convince them to do something they don't want to do within 60 seconds, yes. And give, and give me your credit card now. Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of the stereotype, but that's not what we're doing. The, a cold call, it's your introduction. There, there are a lot of different ways to meet prospects. Picking up the telephone and introducing yourself is one of them. Well, and this is interesting. Let me just stop for a second because no. you you said like this is part of the the problem is is you said 
you're making this basic connection. You're just picking up the phone and introducing yourself as opposed to picking up the phone and pitching. Yeah. Well, the, the, Andy, this is like dating. If you want to go on a date with someone, you have to ask them for the date. And then you go, assuming they say yes, you mm-hmm. go on the date. So you, you, you need to ask, would you... Uh, what do you do on Saturday night? You know, would you like to go out to dinner or a movie if the movie theaters are open or whatever? You ask mm-hmm. them. And then if they say yes, you go on the date. Now, if you said to them, what are you doing Saturday night? Um, because I want to ask you everything about your life from the time you were a small child, I want to share with you everything about my life since the time I was a small child. I want you to meet my family. I want to meet your family. What is your favorite color? What do you like to eat? Right. And, and and I have our next 15 dates planned. We're going to go here and then we're going to go here and then we're going to go. You I've would not go on that date. Yeah. <laughs> so – but most, a lot of salespeople, when it comes to picking up the phone and introducing themselves, that's what they do. It's like, here's everything we do. Yeah. And, and the same thing is happening on LinkedIn now. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, 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 I joke that I must have something wrong with my profile because I evidently I'm inadvertently communicating this level of desperation to have my taxes done, my books done, <laughs> to buy insurance. I need financial planning help and all those things. Yes. Yeah. We, we all need everything. Well, is it so in terms of introducing yourself on LinkedIn, how's that similar to what you do on the phone? Well, it's very similar in that if you have a value proposition that resonates you have a value proposition that resonates and it's not um, it's not about what you do it's about how people are better off your clients are better off after you finish doing mm-hmm. whatever it is you do and so the question that you know i always ask my clients is what's the problem that you are solving and most of the time, they can't answer that question. Mm-hmm. They, they, they can tell me every last thing that they do, but they can't tell me the problem that, that, that they're solving. And that's really kind of the heart of it. Well, yeah, especially on that, that first call. And, and you had written some stuff about this with call scripts, and I, you have an interesting take, is, yeah, as I believe, too, is you have to have this clear, concise uh, introduction part of your introduction that enables the prospect to almost intuitively understand how you help, how you could help them. Exactly, and it. I mean, that's the idea on a cold call or on LinkedIn. It's not to tell the prospect every last detail about every single thing that you do or might do in the future. The idea is get their attention. Right. Get their engagement, get them to say, yes, I'd like to talk to you. Because once someone says, yes, I would like to talk to you, then you can ask them all the questions you want to ask them. You can share in more detail. But until they say, yeah, I'm interested in having a conversation, 
it, it, it's it's just a struggle. Yeah, and the way to do that, I, I agree with you, is just to be very concise. I mean, we we um, on LinkedIn sort of mid year last year in 2020 is ran this this contest where I asked people and challenged people in the community, tell me what you sell in five words or less. And in such a way that in the five words, the person hearing those five words will understand what you do and the value they'll get from it. And it was fascinating. We had hundreds of entries from all around the world, but uh, you know, it was, I would say 50, 60, 70% of them were just sort of product, right? Nothing that really related to the buyer. Yeah. But but I those that those that nailed it, yeah, those who nailed it were some genius responses. And it's when you can say to somebody as part of an introduction, yeah, you know, hey, this is what we do. You know, somebody I've always asked you, you know, five words or less, invariably it's a trigger for a conversation. That's interesting. I want to learn more about that. Yeah. And when uh the I was having a conversation this this morning with someone who kept talking about how he wanted to uh, teach his salespeople to handle rejection. They can't handle rejection. They need to learn how to handle rejection. And I said to him, well, what exactly do you mean by rejection? And he, he kept saying rejection. And I said, well, what are prospects saying? Are prospects saying they're already working with someone? And he said, yeah, rejection. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And first of all, I don't ever think that a salesperson should just learn to deal with rejection. That's that's sort of that's another one of the really dumb things that people say about this topic. It's not about learning to deal with rejection. I have an ongoing argument with a colleague of mine that says the skill in prospecting is in knowing what to say when the prospect says no, which horrifies me. I think the skill is in knowing what to say so that they say yes. Yeah, well, I agree. But also, I think I think the other point about dealing with rejection, I've always looked at it a little bit differently, is, is I always want it to hurt. Because otherwise, what less am I going to take away from it? If it's, if it's not a little bit painful, then <laughs> I'm just going to blithely do what I was doing before. But if there's pain associated with it, I want to make sure that I get rid of that pain. So what can I do better the next time to, to not experience that? Speaking as someone who spent 10 years going to ballet class. And in a lot of pain. Um, and, well, physical pain. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess it was pain, but, you know, that's not the drive. That was never the driver. The pain is not the driver. The passion is the driver. The joy is the driver. The um, whatever the goal is, mm -hmm. that's the driver. And if you have that, some things work, some things don't work. You fix what doesn't work. I learned this in ballet class. I was taking a ballet class a while ago, um, pre-COVID, uh, with Finus Young, who is considered a, a master teacher, internationally renowned master mm -hmm. teacher. We were working on pirouettes, which are very hard. They're turns. You yeah. have to turn around multiple times on one foot. And if you're a woman, you're usually doing it on point. Right. So we're doing we're working on our pirouettes and Finest Young says to us all, if you fall down, you are doing it wrong. Which, you know, at the time was like not yeah. exactly helpful. <laughs> yeah, it seemed obvious, at, yes. 
But at the same time, it is true. If you are making prospecting calls and people are screaming at you and hanging up, you're doing it wrong. Right. You need to do something else. And um, and that's one of the stupid things that people say about prospecting or cold calling, that it's learning to handle that. No, you don't learn to handle that. You fix it. Right. So it doesn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's we work and live in an industry where, um, yeah, there are lots of suspect things shared. But, I mean, it's – or at least that I consider. But on the other hand, yeah, there's so many people in the field that, yeah, lots of things work for other people that I wouldn't think would work for anybody. Well, that I mean, is true. Yeah. I mean, I, I – yeah, trying to judge too much, but yeah, I mean, my experience is, yeah, I wanted to get make sure I did the things that made the pain go away and that enabled me to succeed. Um, but yeah, everybody's everybody's a little bit different. So uh, one another thing I'd seen in some of your writing I thought was interesting is is just a little tidbit on tactical stuff. Is you said on calls always leave a a voicemail? Yes. And you you could cite something from some sort of University of Chicago study that said that you sound smarter on a voicemail. Um, yeah, the booth at the Booth School of Business. This was a few years ago at the University of Chicago. They studied written communication and spoken communication. Mm-hmm. So written communication is an email. It's a text. It's a right. social media post. It's a letter. Spoken communication is you're in front. You're face to face. With the with you're either in the room or maybe a Zoom call or on the phone um, or uh, even a voicemail, and basically what they found was that and they they studied all these different permutations. <laughs> what they found was first of all, if people hear you talk, they tend to think you're smarter, and the second thing they found is they're more likely to take action on whatever it is you're talking about, and so. Uh, for that, for those reasons, um, it's a good idea to leave a voicemail. And, and what we teach with our clients, we, we do a voicemail campaign, which is mm-hmm. like a drip campaign for voicemail and email. So we do both. Right. But, but what we have found, I mean, this is what we've seen internally and also with our clients, because lots of times you leave the voicemails, you send the emails, and the response will come by email. That's the mm-hmm. most common thing. Right. But, but what we have found is that if you stop leaving the voicemail, the response rate goes down. So that's why the recommendation is to do both. Right. Well, and, you, and I think the thing that's fascinating about it, because you, you wrote about this in this piece I read, is that is it costs you nothing to leave a voicemail. And even if the response rates are low, and you're talking about just under 5%, uh, and you were saying, but you gave the example, if you do 20 dials a day, that 5% response rate, if you're sending a voice and an email, that's like generating an extra 250 conversations over a year. Yes. I mean, that's that's significant, right, as a seller. And it's like, just by leaving the voicemail, you're just a small incremental investment of time. That's a pretty large payoff. Absolutely. And that... That uh, under 5% number was, uh, uh, I think it was Zoom Info mm-hmm. uh, from last year. So they, that was the, aver- the average voicemail response rate was 
Yeah. So you think some people look at that and say, well, I get 5% response. Why bother? And I look at it as, as, as you did. I said, that extra 5%, that's going to generate a ton of extra conversations over the course of a year. Of course, we're going to leave a voicemail. Yeah. And we we get response rates significantly higher than that. But even if your response rate is just the average, and you, you would never notice that. that. That's the thing. If you're not tracking it, you would never notice it over the course of a year. You would, you would say, nobody calls me back. Mm-hmm. But if you tracked it, and if it indeed was 4.8%, then um, at 100 dials a week, that's roughly 250 more conversations. Yeah. Well, that's a great point that you made. Is it, it sort of gets lost in the noise, right? The response, yeah. if you don't track it. Yeah. But if you track it, which is one of the beauties of the tools that we have, we can track these things, is that's, yeah, hugely significant. That's, that's the difference for if you're a seller listening to that. It could be the difference between making your number or not. Or between making your number and making President's Club. And we all want to make President's Club. Yeah. I mean, this is not just, I want people to understand, this is not just for talking about for SDR BDRs. This is if you're an account exec and you're making calls, leave voicemails. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is up and down the chain. Well, it's funny. It's become, yeah, I no longer leave voicemails for my kids when I call them because I get ridiculed. Um, <laughs> and just the act of leaving voicemail. No one, no one leaves voicemails anymore. So I think it's, it's you know, for a gen- certain generational you know, segment of sellers who just aren't accustomed to doing it, you sort of have to be, train yourself to do it. But yeah, just look at the math, as Wendy said. Even small small response rates generate outsized returns on the end. So very cool. All right, well, Wendy, it's been great. I appreciate you stopping by. Well, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to stop by. Yeah. So uh, if people want to connect with you, how can they do that? Well, um, we do have a gift for all of our listeners. And, and I'm assuming, Andy, you're going to post it somewhere near the, the link for this, uh, for this podcast. That's the, the business owner's guide uh, to scheduling more qualified appointments when their prospects are all completely freaking out. Um, <laughs> and uh, that, that guide is, uh, it's 12 steps for finding sales opportunities today. So it's 12 actionable items that you can start implementing today. Um, you can also uh, visit us at coldcallingresults.com. That's our website. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Well, Wendy, as always, a pleasure, and we'll look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. Thank you, Andy. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, we're ever so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Wendy Weiss, for sharing her insights and advice with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, well, we'd certainly appreciate that. You can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this episode is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.